Welcome to the Fulfilled Podcast. The podcast designed to spark fundraising inspiration for your nonprofit through thought-provoking interviews with world-leading fundraising experts. Fulfilled brings a unique interview style approach where we ask the most important questions of our expert guests to help nonprofits excel in their fundraising efforts. Feel inspired and feel fulfilled with knowledge so your nonprofit can continue to make a positive impact and create change for a better world. Hi everyone, Jake here from Fulfilled. Today I'm talking with Jonathan Dawson, the director and founder of Digital Ninjas, an agency that helps not-for-profits and NGOs grow through measurable results. Jonathan, welcome. Thanks, Jake. Good to be here. And tell us a bit about the work you do for Digital Ninjas and how you ha- help fundraising teams in the charity space. Yeah, sure. So we we um, work with nonprofits mainly. Um, our work spans a range of sectors um, and we it can be summarized. The kind of work we do is like th- there's so many different variations of it, but it's all about helping organizations to firstly measure and then scale their results from digital. Um, and when I say results, the, the results can be across digital fundraising, which is probably the, the mainstay of where we're focused. Um, but we also get involved in digital service delivery. So helping organizations reach uh, end users that, that they're looking to help um, through that course. Yeah, great. So you started your digital fundraising journey at UNICEF Australia. Um, so tell us about your role there, what you did and how you were able to have an impact. Yeah, my role, I was a job title digital manager, um, and it was working across both the local organization here in Australia and internationally to an extent as the role expanded um, to help increase how we were using digital across the organization. So I was very focused on fundraising. I sat on the fundraising team, um, but the use of digital spanned communications, program delivery and advocacy. Um, but even like we got involved in, you know, channels like face to face telemarketing, um, to look at how the digital components are, or how, how digital could benefit those, those channels as well. So it was really, really mixed. Um, and it was a really good introduction for me to the world of fundraising. Yeah. So how did your role there evolve over that time? Uh, massively, I'd say, um, mainly because the organization changed, uh, loads. Uh, it went from, uh, a really small team. I think there's 20 something people there when I started back in 2010. Um, by the time I left, they'd grown to about 60 people. And I think now in 2020, they're at over hundred, 150 people maybe, um, as of the last count. So the organization's grown enormously over the years. Um, uh, the fundraising component of the organization changed enormously as well. Um, but we were very focused back in 2010 when I started that role in diversifying the channel mix and very much making digital uh, a bigger share of the overall fundraising pie while still growing the other channels as well, but trying to grow everything and making sure digital grew faster. Yeah. Was it hard to get buy-in from fundraising managers um, when you want to say implement something new through digital? I've certainly had experience of that. I was really lucky when I started the role at UNICEF that um, I had a fundraising director who I reported into who was very digital savvy uh, and very bought into digital. So I was able to to back her in building business cases to present to the board and uh, with the way that UNICEF works to international colleagues to uh, receive funding for different initiatives. So um, 
at the beginning, it was very, very easy. We had team changes over the years. And as different people came in, they might have had different views on how digital should work and how it should contribute and maybe some of the, the barriers for, for digital. So sometimes we'd, we'd hit uh, challenges, let's say, in convincing people that digital was the right place to, to invest. But um, I usually found that if you were using the right combination of, of analytics and you were, you were running the activity in the right way and supporting the campaigns with lots of testing and learning, um, even if you failed in what you were trying to achieve, it was still possible to build a case for future investment based off the next step uh, along the way. And uh, does anything spark to mind a specific moment as one of your greatest lessons learned in your time there? Um, probably um, the, 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 one of the earliest learnings I had was, it happened within the first 12 months of being there actually. And we were, it was in 2010, and it was the flooding that happened in uh, certain provinces in Pakistan. Um, so we activated an emergency response campaign um, off the back of having very little uh, digital kind of campaigning set up, or even the infrastructure was lacking. I think to the extent that our payment provider at the time had people sat in the server room making sure that the servers didn't fall over and fail if we had a big spike in demand, which thankfully we did. Um, but we, we did really well as an organization out of that appeal across all channels. Uh, digital was a massive contributor. We got a lot of um, cross-media coverage in radio, TV, um, some print as well, and that helped to, to, to drive the traffic online. Um, but what we, what we didn't do very well, and we definitely missed some of the opportunity because of this, uh, was we, we just weren't mobile ready. So most of that traffic coming in, especially from the, the radio calls to action, um, we were seeing it, it come to the site and just not go anywhere because it was really hard to navigate on a, on a mobile device. So um, what I learned pretty quickly off the back of that, and uh, I don't think mobile is a new thing to anybody these days, everything should be mobile ready, but was on a general basis, making sure you've got the infrastructure in place but then also a plan of action for activating particularly emergency campaigns, but um, it doesn't have to be an emergency if, if your organization doesn't deal with an emergency, it's just a fast response to something in the media to make sure that you can activate things like paid search, social, and making sure that you're measuring and responding to what's, what's happening. Because in, in that scenario, it happens so, so quickly, uh, and we were chasing our tails to a certain extent, trying to get things set up where they should have been in place and ready to go. Yeah, and on the flip side of that, what stands out as your most successful campaign in your three years at UNICEF and what made it successful? Um, so I think following the, the Pakistan floods in 2010, literally the year after there was um, the famine across East Africa um, that was caused by the drought. Um, and what we were able to do in time for that campaign was actually take action on some of the learnings. So we had um, some corporate support um, from PayPal back then to help um, build our very first, very basic and quite nasty mobile site, but it was much, much better than what we had. Um, and then we were able to transition some of the channels that we'd had managed pro bono. So things like paid search, bits of the social, uh, we were able to manage those to an agency where we, we paid them for their time, which meant they were spending much more time on the activity and in a position to optimize much faster when we needed them. Um, but also alongside all of that, we had the analytics in place. So we had a much deeper insight, uh, level of insight uh, versus the campaign the year previous. So that was a big, 
a big step up in terms of response on that campaign. Yeah, great. Well, as someone who's worked in digital digital fundraising, I'm really looking forward to the next sections coming up on uh, AdWords analytics and uh, yeah, all the nuts and bolts with that. So that's really good. So what prompted you to leave in-house fundraising and start your own agency? Yeah, it's an interesting one. So I, I went from um, being in UNICEF, which was like the best job ever, really. It was working with a really nice team, um, an amazing cause that you just like, you could see was changing the world for the better on an enormous scale. Um, but I, I got to a stage where my, I felt like my learning had, had dried up a little and slowed down. So I wanted to go back into the corporate sector at the time to go and experience um, the startup culture and, and go into some fast moving products. Um, so I actually didn't quite go into a startup to begin with, but I went to, to work for News Limited on a, on a big budget um, kind of startup they had within an existing product. And it was all about subscription uh, services and moving away from ad revenue for, for News Limited. And I learned an enormous amount through being part of that team. Um, and it had so, lots of very interesting parallels with nonprofits and the, the drive to regular predictable income. Um, yeah, so I, I wanted to just get out and kind of increase my learning, not necessarily with a view to being out of fundraising altogether, but as I was doing that and I freed up the headspace um, around you know, what I really wanted to do, I realized that actually I was most motivated and happiest when I was um, working for myself and, and shaping things and actually feeling like I was having a positive impact in the world, which led me back ultimately to, to fundraising. Um, I'd made lots of really good contacts in the, the nonprofit world while working at UNICEF. And that was kind of a foot in the door for building some initial relationships and having uh, generating some trust from people to be able to bring us in um, to start working on some of their digital campaigns, which was really exciting. And how did you find that transition? I'm sure there's many fundraisers who would like to do a bit more, possibly, um, you know, work with more clients um, and have that autonomy and freedom, um, yeah, to be on their own terms. So how did you find that? Um, it was an interesting one because I, I've never worked um, agency side. I've always been client side. So I felt like in, in terms of my position as, as going in as a consultancy stroke agency and dealing with lots of clients, I was relatively inexperienced in that piece. But what I did know really well was digital. I knew the, the, the technical components. I knew the, the marketing and fundraising components. And most importantly, I think I, I knew, I understood the client having been the client for the past 10, 15 years in various different roles. Um, so the transition uh, was relatively smooth. Um, it is one where you, rather than having one boss, you end up with lots of different bosses and those are the clients that you're working with because you all, always want to deliver the, the most value possible. Um, but it kind of works well with how I'm geared as an individual um, to be able to, to kind of tune into lots and lots of different um, campaigns and initiatives and, and try and work with the relevant teams. Um, what I did quickly realize is that it, it wasn't something I could do myself, especially as we broadened out um, in terms of the areas of expertise that we were covering, uh, which is ultimately what led to building a, a team around Digital Ninjas. So it became more than just me. Yeah, and you work with some really reputable um, fundraising teams and organizations. And does something stand out as a recent campaign you've worked on that, yeah, was really successful? And can you share that? Yeah, we've, we've had a couple over the years, thankfully. Um, 
A, a really recent one is, is some work we're doing with UN Women. Um, they have done bits of fundraising over the years, but um, haven't had a huge focus on digital. Um, so we were lucky to get involved with the team there um, and, and work with them to start growing digital, improving digital as a viable channel. And it, it was one of these where the approach was actually quite similar to, to UNICEF, where you go in there and there's been not a lot happening in the digital space. So it's that, that, that process of laying the foundations, making sure the measurement's in place, and then slowly building things up um, so that they see a return. Um, the, I guess the really successful thing about that is that we're not the only external partner that's been involved in that, in that project. They've worked with um, external stakeholders like telemarketing agencies, and we collaborate with them quite closely um, to make sure we're doing the right things in, in the digital space. And it's been a really open culture of, of sharing and, and really wanting to work together to, um, to get the end result. And what prompted that change within the organization to bring a larger focus into digital? I think it's, it's something they've, they've wanted to do for a long time in the back of their minds. I think the thing that really gave it urgency was um, declining results and declining return on investment from some of the other activity that they've run historically. And it was like, well, if we're going to continue fundraising on a sustainable basis, what do we do next? Um, and the, the conversation started around digital and it was very much uh, approached cautiously by, by everybody concerned to make sure that if they went into it, they were, they were going to be generating a return and generating a return quickly so they could prove to the board um, that things were working and then get, build a case for, for more investment. Yeah, great. Well, that's great to hear. And um, what are some common problems you see within fundraising teams that you work with when it comes to utilising digital? Yeah, I think um, the biggest one that I see um, is probably silos and, and, and the way that organisations work. Um, so people people work in, in an area of expertise, be it direct mail, be it dialogue, so face-to-face, -face, telemarketing, um, or be it, be it something else, and having the digital person kind of sat over here separately. Um, and I think it, it causes challenges across multiple fronts that everybody's working on their own initiative and not necessarily um, sharing information. But um, I think the thing that we do really well as fundraisers is uh, general attribution of campaign success and measurement um, across all the things we work across because we need to. We need to prove that we're having a, a positive net impact on on um, on results and, 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 and funds raised to fund the, the good work that our causes are involved in. Um, but I think consequently, because of that, we can or we've almost got used to being a bit too literal with the way that we apply attribution. Um, so it probably stems from things like direct mail, which have many years been the mainstay of results and, and still, still is for a lot of organizations. But then, you know, digital can, can be used in a variety of ways from driving uh, a direct uplift in, in fundraising results, but it's also a bit of a fulfillment channel where people who've had a direct mail will come and, and donate online where they've had a, a dialogue with somebody in the street, they'll come online and, and donate afterwards because they've been inspired by the story that they've heard. So some of this and the way that we, we're used to working can, can downplay sometimes the impact of digital and also maybe mean that digital ends up being under-resourced. Um, and that, that's a common, common problem. Um, I think the second biggest thing that, that ties to that is where there's a lack of senior 
sponsorship within the organization. So if the, if the management are not fully engaged and they think the solution to digital is just to hire uh, a junior that's fresh out of uni that just likes playing on Facebook or, or um, dealing with other social media, um, but without really understanding like the full extent of that role, which is pretty enormous when you're, you're starting from scratch. So unless that senior leadership is, is truly engaged and they, they see how digital spans the, the entire organization, it kind of falls into this siloed approach that, that seems to happen in a lot of places. Yeah, yeah, no, I can totally relate to that one. So, uh, so this one might be a bit of a tricky one to throw at you out of the blue, but um, what would you say are the requirements of a digital um, specialist coming into a fundraising team for the first time? Yeah, I think probably first and foremost, above like all the, the technical requirements, they've got to be a people person. If it's, if it's a big, complicated organization, they've got to be able to deal with different stakeholders. Um, alongside that is the obvious one of, you know, even if they don't know all the technical aspects of, of the digital world, they've got to have a really keen appetite for learning. Um, and they've got to be self-motivated to, to go and learn. Because even somebody who comes in who maybe has been working for an agency for years, if they don't continue their learning journey within a couple of months, half of what they know is going to be out of date and they're going to be out of touch with, with how things work at an operational level. Um, so having that, the, the, the people management skills, being able to manage stakeholders, also the, the passion for digital and that, that ability and willingness to learn. Um, and then I think the third one for me would be um, probably being a data person, a numbers person, especially if they're the first people you bring in. I think if you, if you bring somebody who is more of a creative and um, maybe a, a words or pictures person, but not so strong on numbers, you're probably going to find it really difficult to, to build business cases for more investment. So I feel like that numbers um, and data grip is really important to begin with, unless you've got somebody else in the organization who can support some of that. So what digital channels do you feel right now are having the biggest impact in attracting new donors and why? Yeah, there's a, there's a few that stand out, but I think I'd, I'd probably skin the answer to, to this with um and, and this probably comes back to the type of person as well is in that the, the people who are having success are not just picking a channel run, running with it or picking a campaign and run, running with it they're not just doing match donations or they're not just doing facebook or they're not just doing lead advertising um it, it's those organizations that are going away and having a really rigorous robust approach to testing learning and optimizing um you know iterating all the way and what they do and moving as quickly as possible um, but also within that testing framework, having a real focus on audiences, which obviously digital gives you a lot of power to, to segment and target people. Um, if I had to go and pick a channel, like if, if somebody came to me and said, I've got $10,000 to spend, where, where should I put it? It's got to raise money. Um, at the moment, um, Facebook and Instagram are showing really good um, ability to scale. Uh, given the right target and the right proposition and given time to test and learn and grow things. Um, but we're also seeing some of the emerging um, stuff like TikTok, um, surprisingly, uh, be really successful at, at reaching even people aged 35 plus. Uh, and in some markets, we're doing work generating regular giving acquisition at scale, which is super interesting. Um, Paid search has been a mainstay for, for many years. Um, I think everybody should be doing paid search at 
a basic level just because of the the visibility of intent that you get from from people when they're searching um, but to really scale facebook uh, other social media the google display network which i never would have touched with a barge pole you know 10 years ago um, has come on leaps and bounds in in recent years and the the targeting options within that um, are really really powerful but again you know the channel is is what i would see as just one small mix of the overall framework that needs to be applied to, to try and get something to be successful. So if you, you know, those organizations that take an offline appeal and say, right, we're just going to run this on Facebook, have less success than those who take a step back um, and look at the overall framework and, and, and in a lot of cases um, build propositions to suit the, the digital um, audience and marketplace um, from scratch. And why do you feel Facebook and Instagram and TikTok are such powerful channels. I mean, how do you, what's their role in the donor journey? Yeah, I, I think there's two things that make them powerful. Um, number one is scale. And then within the scale, uh, you've got the targeting um, and the power of understanding human behavior within that. So everything from interest behaviors, obviously layered um, on top of the, the demographic data that as fundraisers, we're really good at using. Um, they'd, they'd, they'd be the, the two, the two main bits that, that make Facebook and Instagram stand out. And I think it's why to some degree, which I was quite surprised about that we've seen success with TikTok, because again, they're getting scale. They've got a lot of data to, to um, provide advertisers when it comes to targeting, uh, which means as much as it's got a really heavily skewed younger audience, you can still reach those older audiences or the, the demographics that suit you that, that may be more likely to to respond to a fundraising ask and uh around paid search so every well I, I guess not every fundraising team or even organization will uh be aware of the google adwords grant that's available for um um not-for-profits or ngos that meet the criteria so you're a real expert in this field, so I'll get you to explain more precisely what the Google AdWords grant is and how can charities take advantage of this? Yeah, the Google Ad Grant uh, is an, an amazing tool. That, um, when I first started in, in nonprofits, I couldn't believe it existed. So it's essentially $10,000 a month of, of free ad spend um, available through Google to, to all uh, nonprofits. Um, you've got to be DGR status uh, in Australia to qualify, um, but they, they the application process is quite straightforward. Um, it does come with some restrictions compared to a normal Google advertising account. So the main restriction to be conscious of is you can only advertise on the Google search network, which means google.com, google.com.au homepage. Um, and I'm saying that because Google also have a whole network of, of um, publisher sites where they display their search bar. So third party sites where you can also search Google, you're not eligible to display on those as an ad grantee. And also Google have, uh, as I mentioned in the, the answer to the last question, the Google display network, which is uh, a range of banners that you can target and display to people on the internet as they browse third party publisher sites. Um, Google in Australia control about 80% of the um, display inventory out there. So they've got a huge dominance over the market. And that, that's the case across many countries in the world now. Google are just so dominant in this space. But you, again, you can't advertise on the display networks. It's all... Google search focus, um, the $10,000 is split into a daily budget of $329. And there's a few um, controls and restrictions around how the accounts got to be managed. So regular maintenance, 
a minimum click-through rate of 5%, and some very specific details around the type of keywords you can and can't use, and the way that you've got to structure the account in terms of number of ad copies and ad extensions. Um, but even with those restrictions, it's a super, super powerful tool. Um, it, it, you know, we've seen organizations um, double their website traffic um, and also in some cases, you know, more than double their fundraising results where they've put the ad grant to really good use. So what would be your advice to a charity right now who's got the Google AdWords grant set up, but they just don't know how to approach it from a more strategic point of view? Yeah, so they, we, we come across a lot of charities who've got the ad grant. Maybe they've got some basic activity in place or maybe they've got nothing in place and they've just signed up for it. Um, in, in most cases, uh, if in the absence of any internal expertise on, on Google Ads, um, it, it's good to go externally and, and look for help. I mean, I would say that that's one of the services that we, we provide. Um, but the, the, the base that, or the starting point of making really good use of your ad grant is to go and conduct some keyword research. Put yourself in the shoes of your supporters. Um, think about the, the types of searches they will be conducting that are relevant to your cause, uh, relevant to your objectives. Think outside of just fundraising as well. If, you're lucky, if, you, if you deal with scientific research or providing direct uh, information and help and advice to people, think about the type of search terms those people will be using because it will really help you to, to kind of reach and connect with those people. Um, and that is a starting point. That keyword research is your uh, basic customer understanding, supporter understanding that you can then go and uh, divide up into campaigns and ad groups to allow you to go out and reach those people with, uh, with relevant ads. And it is like the most relevant form of advertising you can get. You know, people are searching for something. They're telling you they want information on something or they want to donate or they want to take part in a fundraising event. And then you can display an ad um, and only pay for clicks on that ad when they click. And then the beauty with the ad grant is you're not even paying because you've got this $10,000 of, of free budget every month. Yeah. And when you manage AdWork grants campaigns, how do you report back that value back to your clients? Yeah. So this comes back to the, the tracking and, and mainly Google Analytics. Uh, one of the requirements actually as part of having the ad grant, and this is a Google requirement, is you've got to have Google Analytics set up on your website, and then you've got to connect Google Analytics with your ad grant. Um, and this is all about helping the, the nonprofit team within Google understand um, how people are using ad grants and making sure that the program's adding value to the causes that are using it. Um, so within Google Analytics, you can then decide, or before you even go to Google Analytics, decide what your organization objectives are, decide where you're most likely to drive those objectives from, from search advertising and then make sure you've got goals and other methods of tracking set up within Google Analytics and pass that data into Google Ads. Uh, then you can see really clearly um, how many donations did I get this month from the Google Ad Grant? Um, how many people inquired about this from the Google Ad Grant? How many people watched the video? How many people downloaded the information? You can answer all those questions and really start to understand uh, whether you're providing people with value. Yep. And the other thing that usually runs in parallel with your Google AdWords grant is uh, an effective SEO uh, strategy. Um, what is SEO's role? With, with SEO, search engine optimization, um, we, we work on this for, for quite a number of people. What I would, would advise anybody who's considering SEO 
start with the Google ad grant before you touch SEO um, or start with Google paid advertising if the ad grant isn't delivering what you need it to. And make sure that you really understand the type of search terms and the type of keywords that are driving traffic of value to your organization. Um, the beauty of using paid search is that it's immediate. You see the results straight away, um, not only in terms of the volume of people searching, but also what those people do when they reach your website. So if people are coming to the website after searching for, for information on your cause, but then leaving straight away, that kind of infers that they're not finding what they need. So first of all, for the back of that data, I would be improving the website experience. But once you've got people from paid search who come to the website and they download or they donate or they interact in the way that you're expecting and you've, you've kind of nailed your user experience, then is a time to start looking at how can we, how can we grow this traffic further through SEO and organic improvement, rank, um, organic ranking improvements to the website. Um, and, and, you know, SEO is a long-term play. Most people will be looking at three to six months before they see any like, serious improvement from an investment in SEO. But by making sure you've got the, you've got a clear idea on where you want to improve and which keywords and which areas of the site you want to see ranking better, you can then go and invest in those areas and, and really drive improvements in, in traffic. So the way that SEO ends up at, at the end of it is that it becomes this long-term sustainable almost competitive advantage because you're ranked really well in the organic results, which means that you don't have to pay for the traffic. If you're using the ad grant and you're not paying any money out of pocket, you can maybe reprioritize your campaigns onto keywords that don't rank as well and focus on another area of growth. So both the, the paid search and the, the SEO component, components work really, really well together. Let's go a bit beyond the entry level knowledge of say Google Analytics, visitors behavior acquisition has um, anyone in digital within a fundraising team should probably know that. What would be your advice to fundraising managers to go beyond that? What are some metrics they should use to take their digital strategy within the organization to the next level using data to do that? Yeah. Okay, so the, the number one challenge we come across when we look at any uh, Google Analytics for the first time um, is that quite commonly people are not measuring um, outcomes. They're measuring traffic. They're looking at where the traffic came from. but They're not measuring how many people downloaded something or how many people donated. Um, and if they're measuring donations, they're not always measuring the type of donation. Was it a monthly donor sign-up? Was it a one-off donor sign-up? And, and what was the value of the donation? So when they're not measuring those things, it's really hard to start understanding and and looking at performance and, and really getting to the bottom of return on investment from, from any activity they're doing. So making sure that those, those outcome-based goals are in there across e-commerce and goal tracking um, are two like really clear starting points for, for any like analytics setup. Um, the other thing that people commonly don't make use of enough, um, there's an area under behavior in your Google Analytics, it's called events. And you can use events to measure a whole range of different interactions. So these are really good if you do a lot of petitions or a lot of um, supporter surveys or other what I'd call kind of like micro actions where people are coming and com uh, completing um, something of which there may be many different iterations. So you might have 10, 20 different petitions. An event will allow you to track the number of completions and tie it back uh, to the individual petition by name within Google Analytics. So you can really clearly see if somebody came in and signed petition A, 
where did they arrive from? Was it Facebook? Did they come through a search? Was it from an email that you sent or something else? Um, so those first two things are making sure the measurements set up um, really, really well. I think the, the third one that I'm going to mention, um, just because I love this, I used it a lot when I used to work in e-commerce and um, it's still really useful for some nonprofits who maybe have an e-commerce shop component to their website or maybe a lot of content that people search. Um, you can look at the search term report if you set it up properly um, in Google Analytics and you can see when people come to your site, if they use your site search, what are they searching for within the site? And where that becomes really useful is when you look not only at the search terms, but then how many pages or how many people exited the site after the search. So you can then start to understand did lots of people search for, for this one item and then they didn't take any follow-up action. Therefore, are we not scratching that itch? Are we not providing content that, that caters to that, that group of individuals? And, and if the opportunity is big enough, it can then help you shape your content production plans and maybe even your campaign plans based around what people are actually looking for within your site. So uh, another specialty of what you do at Digital Ninjas is provide lead generation campaigns for regular giving programs. Um, yeah, can you expand on that, um, exactly how you do that through digital? Yeah, sure. Um, with, with lead generation, uh, the reason why we, we do a lot of this work at the moment is one of, one of the hardest things I think any charity can do through digital and digital fundraising is try to acquire a regular donor. Um, and this is why I think in, in many organizations, digital has, has struggled to, to grow at the, the speed of, of other organizations. It's because face-to-face, -face we know works really well because you can have that personal interaction and dialogue with somebody and adjust the conversation according to what you know is working and what they're responding to. Whereas with digital, we have some ways of doing that, but they're not as agile, they're not as personalized, no matter how good the technology is becoming. Um, whereas with lead generation, what we really see with that is it combines the best of digital with the best of some of our traditional fundraising tools like telemarketing, um, in that we can use digital to connect with people at the right time about something they're really, really passionate about, um, collect their name, contact number ideally, and email address. And then we pass that to our telemarketing partners who are then able to have a, a, a dialogue with that person and, and convince them to hopefully become regular supporters. And if, if they don't at that point, that's fine. They have a nice warm feeling at the end of the conversation, hopefully. And we, we've got that person's information um, and expression of interest to be able to communicate with them through email, through SMS, and hopefully bring them closer to the, the work that we're doing and, and bring them in as a financial supporter at, at some point in the future. So. Yeah, lead generation to me is really about combining the best of, of both worlds, digital and, and, and telemarketing at the moment to, to really scale fundraising. Yeah, and what would you say is the most effective lead generation channel? Is this where it comes back to Facebook and Instagram um, as a way of getting those new leads through? Yeah, we've seen lots of success through Facebook and, and lots of organizations come to us and only want to do Facebook, which I think is fine to begin with. My advice on that is to try and diversify a little bit so you're not reliant just on Facebook because if there's an upswing in uh, demand on that channel, that can really affect the algorithms and the pricing that you're paying per lead or per, per um, potential support or reach. So making sure that you, you, you spread the investment across channels is, is really sensible. But yes, Facebook at the moment um, is one of the mainstays for, for a lot of organizations. And I think that's mainly because 
of the, the granular level of targeting you've got within the platform. And again, the, the scale with so many users and um, the, the ad platform in Facebook over the last nine, 10 years has evolved rapidly. So it's beyond anything uh, that it looked like 10 years ago. Yeah. What prompts a user to give their email at that point? Usually it's providing something of, of value um, to the user. So um, we've seen examples uh, with scientific research where people may be interested in that area of research, be it cancer, be it heart disease, be it something else. Um, maybe uh, it's downloadable information that's of value to them, or maybe uh, the value is uh, in the form of entertainment. So through a quiz, um, or maybe in the form of other types of information like fact sheets, checklists, where they can go and make sure that they're doing everything they can to protect themselves and their loved ones. So we've seen a whole range of, of different propositions. I think the, the, really, the really crucial thing is to make sure you're providing value to the potential supporter, but then also that whatever it is you're providing ties in well to the work that you're doing as an organization. So when you have that follow-up conversation, the two tie together really, really well. There's probably no doubt where some organizations might think, let's just do digital, it'll fix all of our problems. How do you set a realistic expectations there? Yeah, I, I think what we found more often than not is that usually there's somewhere in an organization that digital will add value. I think that the common challenge that I come across is people who, like you say, want digital to be the, the fix-all to, to any problem they may have or to suddenly scale fundraising out of nowhere um, and the expectation can be huge and the, and the challenge with digital in, in a lot of cases even even something like lead generation that is relatively quick and simple to scale is you still do need to scale it you still need to invest time um, in media in audience understanding and testing to, to, to get those results and then decide where to put the rest of the investment. So it's not something you just switch on and get immediate results from. And I think that that stems across whatever the objective is, be it fundraising, be it communications, be it something else. You need to make time and you need to, to allocate budget and commitment from across the organization to make it work. Um, if you just want to turn on for a two-week campaign, fine, it may work depending on the campaign. That's something you you, you know, need to talk about and understand what you want to achieve from it. But in most cases, I would view digital as a, an always on piece of work that is something that you evolve with as you learn more and more about what's working and what's not. And what are some simple hacks that fundraisers can take to use digital to improve their relationship with their current donors? So I, I think keep testing um, is, is the first thing I'd, I'd and have a framework, have an understanding, anything you do in digital, be it um, paid media, buy-in, be it improvements in some of your owned media channels, so email and your social content that you're publishing. Make sure that you've got um, hypotheses built uh, so you understand the, understand the reason why you're doing something and the result you're expecting from it. And then go back and revisit and see if that actually works because we so, see so many uh, instances, instances sorry, where people don't take the time to build out hypotheses or they do, but they just never make the time to go back and revisit whether it actually worked. And, and that's really where the learning takes place. It allows you to, to kind of switch things off that are not working as well or deprioritize them and really focus on, on the bits that are working. Yeah. And how do you think digital will change as a fundraising tool in the next five to 10 years? 
who knows? <laughs> it's, yeah, he's changing so, so quickly. Um, I think what we probably will see um, is more of a, a focus on audiences and probably more digital ways of dialogue. We're already testing some um, uh, lead generation campaigns where we're communicating with prospects through messenger services. Um, so we're really removing the, the kind of interruptive component of telemarketing, which so many people seem not to like, um, but it still works amazingly well and is still very effective for a big chunk of the audience. So it's not about replacing it, but I think about finding ways to, to interact with different audience segments in the ways that they want to interact um, is, is the way it's going. There's lots of talk and um, a lot of hot air at the moment, to be frank, with things like machine learning um, and, and those sort of things. And I, I think that's coming very, very quickly. Um, but if you look at the way Google talk about things, so machine learning is the big subject matter for them right now, and their algorithms are getting really, really powerful, and they're, they're smarter than way ever before. But if you look at some of the stuff the machine learning will recommend, it's quite often incorrect, or it's quite often, it, it needs that human shaping. So I think we're going to see that accelerate as the, as the machine learning really kicks in, and it learns faster and faster. There'll be, there'll be less um, lever pulling, um, and more uh, more time for strategic thinking um, and, and focusing on what the audience wants to see. So more data science required within a fundraising team. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, never enough data science for sure. <laughs> so what's next for you on Digital Ninjas? Um, so we're, as a, as a consultancy, really focused on, on quality and, and long-term relationships. So we've, we've grown enormously as a team over the past seven years. Um, we work with most of our clients on a, an ongoing basis. We feel really lucky to, to work with nonprofits. Like it's such an interesting area to work in. So we want to just carry on building that long-term value for people and, and retaining the people we work with and, and growing those results. Oh, and down to the last question. So what's your final piece of advice to inspire and fulfill fundraisers to make a positive impact and create change for a better world? Um, I think keep testing is my is my closing advice. Um, people want to help. They want to make an impact in the world. Um, the, the historic uh, success in fundraising has been because people need to be asked to help to, to, to make it happen. Um, but remember that they do actually want to help. And it's just a case of finding the most relevant way to, to bring them into your cause. Um, and there's, there's just so many different ways of doing it through digital. Yeah, Jonathan Dawson from Digital Ninjas, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Jake. Thanks for having me.